This is Agency Side, telling the stories of starting, growing, and selling digital agencies. Sponsored by Natriller.com, the CRM system for SEOs and digital marketers. Now, here's your host, Rob Carey. I'm joined today by Luke Smith, the co-founder of Crowd, a digital marketing agency with offices in London, New York, Sydney, Australia, and Shrewsbury. Welcome to Agency Side, Luke. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, Crowd was founded in 2011, and I'm guessing that Shrewsbury was your first office location, as it's quite an unusual location when lined up next to London, New York, and Sydney. Funnily enough, no, it wasn't actually. Shrewsbury was our second office location after London, so we started in London. There was a sort of real reason why Shrewsbury exists, and that was based on talent being in the the local Shropshire area. But um, no, London was our first base where we had a sort of uh, very small and basic office in in Shoreditch. You're one of the few agencies that I know that are based in the town of Shrewsbury. Is there a, a large hub of digital marketing knowledge there? There was an agency a long time ago called The Search Works. I don't know if you, you remember those guys. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my co-founder, Ben, worked for, for The Search Works and uh, so did a number of our early staff. And there was a sort of transition period where they'd sold the business and a few people left. And um, so we managed to secure a couple of very talented individuals who lived in that area. They said, well, why, why wouldn't we start to build a bit of a hub there? I'd previously worked at Google and I loved the Google campus that I visited a lot in Dublin. And I like this idea that we could maybe have a campus-style operation up up in Shrewsbury. I don't know if you've been to Shrewsbury, Rob. Um, only as a kid, actually. I, I really loved the town. I stayed in a hotel and they let me uh, make my own omelettes in the kitchen there, which I was delighted by because I always wanted to be a chef. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a lovely town, and it's um, you know, it's quite, it's reasonably quite cosmopolitan given how sort of isolated it is. And um, yeah, like like I say, from the very start, we were like, hang on, why are we trying to ta- attract talent to somewhere that isn't London? And this thing sort of snowballed, and and if you wind that forward to today, over half of our global workforce is in Shrewsbury, and we've got people from all over the globe, from China, Japan, all parts of Europe. We've had people from Russia, South America, so it's a really lovely mix of culture. And, and we have got to that kind of almost critical mass of enough people being there that we're quite a, a big presence within the town. And you mentioned your colleague Ben Knight before, who you co-founded the agency with. Could you give us a bit more background about what you both did before Crowd and where you decided to start the agency? I know you said that you worked at the Searchworks before and you worked at Google, but did you have much industry experience before then? Ben was agency side, did the Searchworks, and just prior to, to launching Crowd, he was working at Harvest Digital. I was kind of on the sales side. So Ben was a client of mine, an agency client of mine. And um, just prior to doing this, I, I ran agency relations at, at Google for a number of the big agency groups, but some of the independents, hence why I knew Ben. Uh, prior to that, I'd spent all of my life in print media. So I worked at the Daily Mail, the Times and the Economist before joining Google and learning about digital. Uh, but he and I, during the sort of three or four years we'd worked together while I was at Google, we built something of a kind of common bond around the agency and, and, and what it should be and what it should mean. Crowd was actually on my wish list of agencies to feature on agency side, as you have something very different to other agencies out there, something called the Crowdy Network. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? The Crowdy Network is only relevant if you talk about the sort of genesis of the business. 
Um, and, and, and its relation to the other two parts of our business that are sort of equally important. So Ben and I got together. We said, well, what is the, the agency of the future? How will an agency differ from the agencies that we see today? I was at Google, saw the sort of good, the bad and the ugly of agencies and saw agencies really struggling to back themselves into the in this into this new digital world, which was much more labor intensive and, and kind of hard to deliver. It was real time and, and, and agencies just struggle with that. So I said, look, there must be a, a different way of approaching this. It was early days of kind of gig economy and remote working and working through technology. You know, Ben and I came up with this concept that we would combine in-house agency talent with technology. Agencies back then just didn't really invest in technology. But I guess, the, as you say, as you've identified, the missing piece, the thing that really took us to another level was this crowdy network. So uh, an organized and formalized way of tapping into on-demand resource. Like I say, through the technology, you could never have done this through Google Sheets. Uh, You could never have done this just writing a load of names down. It had to be formalized and it had to be built. The technology had to be built around it. Um, So we set out and we said, we're going to power, you know, at that time we said maybe 50, 60% of our work through flexible, scalable, global remote workforce. And I've actually done some work through the Crowdy Network myself when an old colleague of mine, who's now your VP of SEO, asked for some help on quite a technical client project. And he had a full portal to manage everything from tasks down to invoicing. Did you build this all in-house or was it something that you outsourced to a development agency? We built 99% of it in-house. We have used a bit of an outsourced resource. But yeah, um, building our own proprietary technology was at the heart of what we wanted to do. Our very first employee was developer. So we took it very seriously that we wanted to have our own proprietary tech that that ran this thing. We did look at plugging in to APIs of other other platforms, but because our model and our business was so unique, it felt the only way to do this properly was to do it by building from the ground up. And having a team of hundreds or thousands of freelancers at hand and only paying for them for the work that they do sounds like a dream agency set up. But aren't your clients worried about the reliability or the quality of work from the Crowdy Network? In the early days, this it was almost debilitating for us as a business. It, it nearly stopped us in our tracks because clients back, back in 2011, 2012, 2013, this, the gig economy wasn't really a thing. The way you might outsource work to a freelancer really felt very alien to it clients. If you wind that forward to today, 90% of clients back then said, mm, I'm not sure about the crowdy network. Today, it's probably only less than 5% because people kind of buy into and understand flexible working and the pandemic has really shone a light on us being able to work much more or very effectively remotely. But yeah, we take the quality of the work that's done by the crowd is incredibly seriously. So we have a, like what we call a triple QA process. So Every piece of work that's done by our crowdies is, first of all, audited by the machine, then it's vetted by other crowdies, and then it's vetted by our in-house team. So I I, I wouldn't say you'd get that level of scrutiny on a piece of work that's done in-house, because we're very mindful. Every piece of work done by the network has to be bang on, otherwise it could raise questions. So we've spent this nine and a half years that we've been going perfecting that. And I'm not saying it is perfect today, but we're a very long way down that road and we've got a very robust system to deliver work, high quality work for customers. And that bears through in the length of time that we we work with clients, the amount of business that, that our existing client base are giving us across a you know, broadening range of channels. 
And you mentioned the pandemic, and I'm guessing that all of this put you in a very strong position for when COVID hit, as a large amount of your resource was already working from home and you'd battle-tested technology to run this all through. Were there many changes that you had to make when COVID-19 hit and the country went into lockdown? You say, you know, well-prepared for the pandemic. I don't think anybody was well-prepared for the pandemic. I mean, we, we saw a 30% dip in, re- in global revenues, which was a pretty big shockwave given we were sort of five months into our, our partnership with LDC, our private equity part owners. So, you know, it was a tough time. I think it definitely vindicated our belief that work could be done remotely. And and the sort of ironic thing, you know, on on one of our videos, a memorable sort of point on one of our videos is when the pandemic hit, we added to our two and a half thousand crowdies, we added our 220 full-time employees because everybody became a crowdie. We opened effectively 220 offices because everybody started to, you know, work from home and work remotely. So there were a lot of learnings that we'd taken from how we work with crowdies that we could then, yes, apply to to our in-house teams. You have a office in New York, which is a very tough market to crack. Many UK agencies try to capture that market, but end up withdrawing and just having a virtual office there. How big is your team in New York? And do you have or plan to have any more US offices? Uh, very good questions. So pertinent because I was actually I spent um, I was fortunate to spend a week in our New York office last week. I uh, travelled out there on a special exemption from the U.S. Embassy. Um, our office in New York it changes almost weekly, but I think we're now up to thirty seven, thirty eight people, nearly forty people, with a plan to get to about fifty in the next three or four months. So the U.S. has been a really kind of unbridled success. The US economy was not hit. It was barely impacted in comparison to the UK during the pandemic. And, and we, we felt that with our, with our US business. We barely missed a beat. Budgets weren't pulled back as much. But yeah, we've doubled our revenues in, in just over 12 months. So you know, that's a really super successful part of our business. And it, it hasn't come without an incredible amount of hard work. We've got a great guy, Chris Tate, uh, running our business out there as, as managing director. He started with us in 2012 in, in London as a, as a junior sales guy, and he's risen up through the business and now runs the whole show. So that's been a, a, a roar away success, but not without an awful lot of hard work. You're right. It's a competitive market. It's also a market that requires relationships to build relationships. And we built that through great work for every client we've worked with out there to the point where People are, are bringing us in, you know, people are approaching us to work with them. But yeah, you're right. Not everybody succeeds there. So we're, we're pretty proud of our achievements. You know, in terms of focus and where we're investing our time, money, resource, the US is, is number one. We see that market. I mean, it's somewhere in the region and it depends what data you look at, but somewhere in the region of 35% of the world's advertising money is spent in the US. We're doubling down our focus on that market. We actually, literally in March, April, we were due to launch an office in LA and our US head of SEO had moved out there to launch the business. We've sort of put that on ice, if you will, although we are winning uh, West Coast business with him in market, albeit not seeing lots of clients face to face. So yeah, the, 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 you know, LA will be next and that will probably, we'll probably do more of a hard launch, I'd say September of this year when things start to get back to some, some sort of normality. So it sounds like your offices are key to some of your client wins and also the client retention. So do you think you'll be keeping them all open and expanding even further past that after COVID? I think every founder, owner, CEO, people within organisations are having these conversations at the moment. 
It's so hard to know what the future looks like. Is everybody going to continue to work from home? I think the likelihood of that is slim. I think there's a fatigue, a Zoom fatigue, a working from home fatigue. So I think the future will be a hybrid of working from home, working from offices. And then the question starts to be asked of what does that look like? Do we need bigger offices because we need more breakout space? Do we need bigger offices because you can't hot desk if hygiene is a huge important factor? So all of these questions we're asking ourselves, and I know the office workplace is asking itself in terms of where where do we all end up here? So we're keeping kind of keeping our options open. We had this conversation yesterday. You know, we are effectively going to be full if you had everybody in the office in New York in the next couple of months. You know, in London, probably by the middle of the summer and then in Shrewsbury by the end of the year, even Australia early next year. So we're just keeping a watching brief. We are going to encourage people to start coming back to the office from June when when things start to open up. And I, I see a bit of a back to school from September where we get back to some sort of new normal, which is perhaps three days a week in the office, two days a week from home, flexibility. I heard a rumour that Regis Serviced Offices was one of your first clients that really helped to build up the Crowdy network because obviously they've got offices around the world and each one of them needs localised knowledge for keyword research and for those individual markets. And Regis was kind of like the predecessor before WeWork came around. Uh, is, that, is that true that they were one of your first clients? And do you see the fact that you have these specialists in almost every country around the world as one of your uh, USPs? So Regis were, weren't one of our first clients, but they're certainly you know one of our biggest. We started working with those guys in 2015. They worked with network agencies forever and a day, but because they were in, they were a global business, but they weren't huge, huge advertisers. I mean, they're big, right? They're a big uh, spender on media and all other sort of advertising services, but they fell in this slight gap and been through a number of different trials with network agencies. They've been underinvested uh, and just didn't get the service they need. They are a uniquely global business. You know, they're, 100, they're based in 120 markets. So we started working with those guys. We did a, a 10 market trial uh, and I remember the markets were really random. It was places like Bolivia and uh, Namibia and some real very kind of small markets that um, that they purposely gave us to to test our metal. Um, and we started with that trial just in paid search. And you sort of wind that forward to today where, like I say, operating for, it, for them in 120 different markets through our Crowdy network on pretty much every digital marketing channel. It's a real case study on it. It's the purest way in which our, our Crowdy model, our combination of the spoken hub with our you know, fantastic in-house team, most of whom have been working on the business for quite some time. It's a really seam- seamless kind of integration. And in many ways, you know, there's a lot of talk about in-housing. IWG went the other way and they moved a lot of their digital marketing resource from in-house to to crowd because of the success of the work we did. And along the way, we picked up, you know, all of their markets, all of their services to the the extent that we're now doing all of their digital marketing services in China, for example, uh, that we won from an incumbent Chinese agency. We've got a, a pretty big and credible APAC team based out of our Shrewsbury office, um, doing some brilliant work. And it's so good that we can go and beat, you know, local market incumbents. But if I was a UK-focused retail business with no interest in international markets, why would I choose Crowd over other agencies? Because surely your USP is having these local specialists around the world. 
it was the original premise of Crowd was not about Global. Global came in about 18 months after we started when Ben came to me and said, look, why don't we do international? If we did 50% of our work through the Crowdy network at a much lower kind of fixed cost, then we can deliver you know, roughly twice as much work as our competitors. That was the biggest problem with agencies back in the day was they could not live up to the needs of their, their clients. So the model, regardless of whether it's global or just domestic UK, means we can do far more, deliver far more resource than, than any of our competitors because of the way we're structured. And that, that combines the model, it combines the technology, which adds efficiency. It also combines the fact that we have a very big office in Shrewsbury, which by its very nature, you know, rent and, uh, and other costs are, are much cheaper. So we've got a model, if you combine all those things, that does mean we can deliver twice as many hours as, as our competitors. The crowdies will do the heavy lifting traditionally, and they're doing more, more and more strategic work, which frees up our, in, our brilliant in-house teams to deliver more strategic work for clients, to spend more time with, with clients, and to think um, you know, longer term and more strategically about the businesses that we work with. And how is revenue split between the various services that you offer? Does SEO bring in the most revenue or is PPC the main thing driving you? There's a constant jockeying for position of of SEO and PPC. And uh, it does actually start to depend on how you break these things down. I think the traditional view of, for example, SEO has now been slightly diluted. So we've separated out technical SEO into a, a department called Web Experience so that's broader than just standard SEO. There's some development work goes on in there. It's difficult to say which one is ahead of the other, but there is a, a healthy competition between the two. But yeah, they would be our biggest two channels, but they've both shrunk in terms of percentages over the recent years because we've, we're doing a lot more in programmatic, paid social, you know, content and online PR, which again is a slightly distinct part of our SEO business. It is growing fast. We're doing a lot more with, I mean, Amazon marketing services probably up 300% year over year in terms of our revenues. And then a lot more around data, data solutions, and then technology. You know, we've, <clears throat> we're really doubling down on our partnership with Google and GMP. And I, I don't know if you saw in, in the news yesterday, um, we were named a, a, a Salesforce partner where we're going to be working with those guys to enable our technology and our network to support their trailhead business. So it's, the diversity of our channel mix is just unrecognisable from even 2015, 2016. Over the last five years, we've really broadened things out. It's interesting to see how many different services are being added onto digital marketing agencies and creating new types of digital marketing agencies. I recently interviewed the founder of an agency that only does Amazon marketing. Do you still see yourself and Crowd as a digital marketing agency or do you think there's a broader term to describe yourself? It'd be hard to see us starting to do anything that isn't digital first. So a good example would be television advertising. We will do that, but through what we know. So through programmatic. So we'll buy television programmatically. We'll buy addressable out of home, which we're, we're already doing all of these things. So those sorts of channels we will buy, which sort of feel a bit above the line, but they are all, they'll all be bought digitally. So I, I think we'll, 
it's hard to say never say never, but everything we do, I think, will be digital first. So, yeah, we will always be a digital agency. I guess the other question is, you know, are we a performance agency or are we looking to become more upper funnel and, and think more about brand? And that's the area that we're headed into. And that blurring of the lines between brand and performance advertising, I think, you know, we're we're good at buying digital media through the channels that, that we've talked about. And I think that will apply to upper funnel engagement and upper funnel advertising as much as it will apply to um, to bottom of funnel, you know, last click uh, performance. What do you think about the future of the industry in terms of the agency client relationship and where it might change? Do you think the relationship will get more distant with more Zoom calls and fewer client lunches and drinks and things? Or do you think there'll be a need to reconnect after the pandemic and to meet face to face even more than before? I certainly hope uh, client lunches and face to faces aren't going to go away because that was always one of my uh, one of my strengths. But um, <laughs> I, I think uh, who knows, right? Things have changed. I'm not sure we've done as a business. Maybe in Australia we have, but I don't think we've done it in the UK or the US. We've done a single face-to-face since the pandemic hit. I think it's the last thing that will fall back into place. But I am a firm advocate of spending time together with clients and customers, with people in general. Just being in New York last week and being able to spend two and a half hours in a room with Chris that wasn't wasn't on a Zoom call, but was you know three-dimensional and we had chances to pause and look out the window and think about other things is is so valuable and I I think the same will apply to the client meetings it will just come back a a little later but I know you know I've got a sort of backlog of probably 10 closest client contacts all saying right as soon as this is over we're going out for dinner so I'm a, a firm believer that once once we get this thing under control everybody's going to want to spend more time together. There'll be a little kind of period where we feel our way into that. But I think soon after that, once the vaccines have really started to take control, I think we'll, we'll all be very keen to, to engage with, with our fellow humans uh, a whole lot more. Do you have a three-year or five-year plan for where Crowd will be and how big it will grow and how it will develop? Yes. So we made a a very conscious decision, Ben and I, alongside other investors and and other people at the heart of our business, to continue on our mission to grow Crowd into the best agency it can be. Maybe the best agency in the world, but I don't want to get too carried away with that. We made that conscious decision to go with a private equity backer rather than a trade sale. And that's because, you know, we think we've got so much more we can achieve. We feel like we're only a percentage along the way of this journey. I remember when I worked at Google and I remember it was probably about 2007 and it was either, I think it was Larry Page stood up in front of us and said, we are 7% of the way of perfecting search. And this was after the company had been going four years. And I just thought that's such a an interesting way of looking at it. They just weren't, you know, they know they've got so much more to achieve. You know, we've got very ambitious organic growth targets. We've got very ambitious product development targets in terms of what we want to be. We've got geographical locations that we want to move into. We spent the teens growing the business to the point at which we sold that minority state to LDC in November 2019. And then I'd like to flip that to next phase of growth for or the 20s and just see where we can get to what what sort of a business can we be for our people our clients um, and our valuation uh, in 10 years time so do you think acquisition is the ultimate goal at the end of this uh, decade period or do you think the private equity investors would be happy for you to continue on for 20 30 40 years time and just taking dividends out of the company 
the number one factor is let's be successful. Let's have a great business. Let's look after our people. Let's, you know, and every one of our of, of the people within our business uh, is a shareholder in the business. And that creates a sense of togetherness and we're on this mission together. And and that's super important for both Ben and I's reason to do this. But yeah, look, the more successful we are, the more options we have. We went through a long process to select LDC as a partner. They brought Jerry Bullman to the table as chair, a non-executive chairman of Crowd, which was just an incredible position for us. So, you know, and, and they've been a brilliant partner. They're a brilliant partner through a really difficult time through COVID. They were understanding. They helped educate us on managing a business through uh, retraction because we'd never been in, in that place before. Uh, and we worked super well with them through that. And they're just, it, it's its great. I, I said to some of my team the other day, like, oh, fundamentally, nothing has changed with Crowd since the investment by LDC. And that was our, our ambition, like to carry on on our mission. They have helped polish some parts of the business. They've helped guide us in certain ways, but they let us get on and run the business. And that's why we love the idea that we've made the right choice going with it. A private equity partner as opposed to you know being swallowed up by by one of the networks my final question is if you could give a new agency founder one piece of advice what would it be yes a, a really good question i think there's, there's two parts to this but yes yeah, so what i would say is be bold go and do something different go and look at the market go and look at if you want to build an agency where are the you know where are the service areas that need servicing but also how can you do things differently you know for every new channel that emerges there is all there is always going to be uh new agencies that emerge alongside them but what can you do differently that will stand you apart from your competition you know we did it with the network and our technology you know invest in technology the best businesses have technology at their heart you know Agencies will never be tech-led businesses, but they're tech-enabled businesses. So think about investing in those areas from the ground up. That would be my sort of business uh, advice. And then in terms of personal advice, save some cash. You will, you will never make as much money in the early days as you think. So, I mean, it took us about three years to reach profitability. And I'd say in those first three years, about a third of the months we Ben and I didn't get paid. So save some cash for, for that rainy day because it will come. And then the final point would just be be prepared to do the hard yards, whether that's treading the streets, selling to small customers in the early days or, you know, changing the bins or, you know, doing everything within the business in the first few months because you've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to get involved in literally everything within that business. So if you're not prepared to do that, it might not be for you. But, you know, really getting getting your hands dirty, being prepared to get your hands dirty and, and getting involved with every area of the business. Luke, thank you so much for joining me today on Agency Side. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to Agency Side, sponsored by Netpillar.com. Visit agencyside.fm to subscribe, read the show notes, and listen to previous recordings. Tune in again soon for our next episode. 